Martin Luther had a nose for controversy. On one occasion, he was called before the authorities to defend what he had written and what he had said. They demanded that he acknowledge his error, but Luther refused. He was firmly convinced that what he had written and what he had said were true. They were not mere opinion, but doctrines that he had found from the Bible, the book that he considered his authority. He told his interrogators, I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted and my conscience is clear. Thus I cannot and will not recant because to act against the word of God is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Now there's some dispute about what Luther actually said, but what's clear is that Luther was unwilling to bend even to the considerable pressure of the authorities of his day. Now that happened just a little over 500 years ago, but 1500 years before Luther, there was a man named Saul who also got into trouble with the authorities. You've heard the story read, and you may already see some of the similarities. You see Saul, like Luther, spoke his mind. And so he taught the message of Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, and he would not bend to pressure because he believed the message came directly from the Hebrew Scriptures. Saul, like Luther, would pay the price for sticking to his convictions. But we're indebted to Saul better known as Paul, for his inspiring leadership of the early Christian church, and most of all, for the letters that he wrote that were preserved and saved and are now included in our New Testament. Last week, we gave some of Saul's early history, how he started as an opponent of Christians and of the church. But then, in dramatic fashion, Jesus revealed to himself to, to Saul in a blinding light and a voice that came, and Saul switched sides, going from a zealous opponent to a passionate advocate for Jesus. The part of the story that we're going to look at today is divided in two halves, and then it has an epilogue at the end. The first half takes place immediately after his dramatic encounter with Jesus in the city of Damascus, and the second half takes place sometime later in the city of Jerusalem. So let's look first at the Damascus story. So a few days after the bright lights and the voice from heaven, Saul begins what will be a pattern for the rest of his life, and that is he began to speak out boldly for Jesus. What this demonstrates is his confidence in the message that he'd received from God, his confidence in his message. Now, you've already heard the story read, so let me just summarize this part of the story. Damascus, by the way, was to the north of the country of Israel, but nonetheless, it had a large Jewish population in many synagogues. It says at once or immediately that Saul began to teach in these synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, everyone who heard him was astonished. They all knew that Saul had persecuted Christians in Jerusalem, and they knew that he had come to Damascus to do the same. And yet here he was speaking out powerfully and proving from the Hebrew Bible that Jesus was the Messiah. Others, it says, were baffled. What he said was so unexpected and yet they were persuaded and unable to refute his argument that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul was a brilliant man. He'd been well-educated in the Hebrew Bible. He was part of the strictest of all the Jewish sects, and so he'd been raised to look forward to the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One, the leader that they had all been hoping would come. But following his encounter with Jesus, he saw things in an entirely new way. So rather than be an opponent, because Jesus at first didn't fit Saul's grid for what the Messiah would look like, he saw things entirely new. Drawing on his encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, of the scriptures, he began to use what he knew to argue for what he once opposed, and he was persuasive. 
So what was Saul's message? Well, Luke gives us a couple of hints. First, he says that Saul began to preach that Jesus was the Son of God. And then he said that he was effective in proving that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews, like Saul, believed that one day God would send this new leader who would bring peace and righteousness, and that through him God would invite all people on earth, Gentiles included, into the family of God. Saul came now to see that this leader was Jesus. And as he came to understand the most important proof for Jesus was that he had risen from the dead. So in Jesus, Saul taught, God is reconciling all of us to himself and beginning the restoration of a broken world, a process that we can get involved in as well. Saul was a powerful teacher. The Christians there were strengthened by his teaching. What he said gave them a better understanding of this new faith and more confidence in what they had come to believe. Those who heard him speak were thrilled with what he had to say, and they were also fascinated by his dramatic personal story of transformation. He convinced many that Jesus was the Messiah. But not everyone was persuaded. In fact, Saul's message was polarizing. In what would be a pattern for the rest of his life, there were those who loved him and those who hated him. And that was the way it would be for the rest of his life. The real issue, though, wasn't Saul himself. It was the person he kept talking about. It was Jesus. And some things never change because Jesus remains one of the most polarizing figures in history. And that's because of the central focus of Paul's message on Jesus is that what made him so polarizing himself. It what led him to be in conflict continually with one person or another. But Saul was a remarkable man because despite these hardships that he faced throughout his lifetime, he never wavered. And that's because he had the courage of his convictions. After telling us that Saul grew more and more powerful by proving that Jesus was the Messiah, Luke tells us that there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So he so angered the religious authorities that they decided they needed to shut him up. Fortunately, Saul learned about the plot and was able to slip out of town and be safe. Already, Ananias, the man who met Saul last week, predicted had predicted that Saul would suffer, and it's coming true, his prediction. If Saul didn't already know, he finds out here that it's not going to be easy. And Saul shows great courage in demonstrating his loyalty to Jesus. He was so convinced of the truth that had been revealed to him that this opposition didn't deter him. He seemed to see it as a sign that he was having an impact. Years ago, I heard an author say that the greatest compliment you can pay any author is to burn his books. Saul realized that persecution was the proof that he was making a difference, that he was indeed fulfilling the mission that God had given him to do. From that point on, Saul continued to speak out, even at great risk to his own life. While he took the necessary precautions, he never stopped speaking out all the way to the end. Why? Because he was convinced of the truth of what he said and of its essential importance to all of life. And so Saul continued to speak out. By the way, why is it that people oppose Jesus? Last week I mentioned that when Saul was confronted by the bright light and heard the voice of Jesus speaking directly to him, he received what each one of us receives, and that is an invitation. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that through him we can have a relationship with God. And all we need to do is to receive the invitation that Jesus extends to each one of us. And that is what Saul experienced that day. He found peace and meaning and purpose 
and guidance and strength and hope for eternity that he did not previously have. He found a story that made sense and the knowledge that in Jesus and the story of Jesus, we have the best, most comprehensive explanation of reality that there is. And so he began to speak up boldly and to take risks, risks that led to two death threats and the two halves of the story that we're looking at today. Now, in many ways, it doesn't make sense that Jesus generates so much hostility. Why would anyone turn against someone who came and went around doing good? Now, some struggle to believe that Jesus is God's son. For those in this category, actually Saul was fairly sympathetic and patient, and he particularly seemed to be persuasive to those kinds of people, first with his fellow Jews and then with outsiders. He was often able to explain to them who Jesus was and persuade them that he was worth following. But others had a more personal and less intellectual reason for rejecting Jesus. It's just that they simply didn't want to let control, give up control of their lives. You see, to follow Jesus means to put him first. It means giving over control of our lives to him. And for some of us, many of us, that's a struggle. We want to do our own thing. And so may, it may be pride or greed or the unwillingness to let go of a grudge. Others know that to follow Jesus would change their weekend plans, and they simply don't want to give up what they think is fun. Of course, that's an illusion, since what ultimately satisfies is probably not that. The reality that Jesus would remain so polarizing plagued Paul, Saul excuse me, for the rest of his life. He was so convinced of the truth of what he had experienced that he remained undeterred, and he fearlessly continued to speak out, to have the courage of his convictions. I mentioned earlier that this story is divided into two halves. The first half takes place in Damascus just immediately after Saul became a follower of Jesus, and the other half in Jerusalem takes place sometime later. The Jerusalem story follows, though, a similar pattern, but one difference, and that is that Luke adds something here that I find inspirational. If you were with us last week, you'll know that the Christians in Damascus were wary of Saul because he, of his past history of having persecuted Christians in Jerusalem and his mission to come to Damascus to do the same. Well, the same problem surfaced in Jerusalem. Luke says that when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Now, this is a real problem. That is, until one of the leaders, someone named Barnabas, stepped in and spoke up for Saul. Barnabas was a respected leader in that church. He welcomed Saul. He vouched for him. And then he told the story of how courageous and effective Saul had been in Damascus and persuaded everyone to give him and welcome him into the community. In this way, Saul was encouraged by a generous friend. Saul was encouraged by Barnabas. Some of the Christians in Jerusalem may well have been among those who'd been tossed into jail by Saul many years before. But, Saul, but Barnabas challenged them to set the past aside. He believed the best of others, and Saul was forever grateful to him. The challenge for us is to be more like Barnabas, to be people who are willing to forgive instead of having a one-strike-and-you're-out rule. As followers of Jesus, we need to believe in the possibility of change. And that was Barnabas. He believed that who you are today is not who you are. Who you are yesterday is not who you will be today or tomorrow. He was willing to take a risk on Saul, and we should be grateful that he did. We've already talked about Saul's courage in Damascus. Well, he showed it again in Jerusalem. In a bit of deja vu, we're told that he spoke out boldly in the name of Jesus. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but the result's the same because it says then that they tried to kill him. 
And again, Saul had to leave the city in order to save his skin. Now that covers the two episodes, the two halves of this story, but there's one more piece, an epilogue, a postscript, that Luke adds to the story of this particular part of Paul's life, Saul's life. And it's here that he describes the effectiveness of a growing church. In verse 31, he says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now, you almost can't imagine a more encouraging description of the effect of what Saul did when he spoke in that area. To have peace, to be free from outside pressure, to be organizationally and spiritually strong, a place encouraged by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, a church that was growing in numbers, and to be growing in godliness as well, which is what Luke means when he says growing in living in the fear of the Lord. It's an amazing description, but it's also one that should not be taken for granted. That's because it isn't always that way. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, we hear of churches that were, where there were problems, churches where things were not going well, churches that were in trouble. John Stott, a scholar who wrote an entire book about the book of Acts, points out that Satan's most important priority, one of his most important priorities anyway, is to crush the Christian church. He says if Satan can't destroy the church through outside opposition, he'll try to undermine it through theological heresy. And if he can't do that, he will try to divide it through internal dissension. But the churches in the entire region of Palestine were healthy and growing, and many were coming to know Jesus. So it must have been thrilling. So how do we sum up this story of Saul, this story of the beginning of his ministry life? Well, first, know that Saul was confident in what he believed. And we too can have confidence in the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that through him we can have a relationship with God. Know also, like Saul, that we can be people who have the courage of our convictions. So whether we face opposition about our decision to follow Jesus, we can remain faithful to him even if it costs us something. And also, that like Barnabas, we can be the sort of people who encourage others to believe in them when others may be unwilling to give them a chance. The result, if we do these things, is to see the work of God that he has given us to do flourish, that his kingdom will come, his will will be done, and on earth as it is in heaven, through us. Amen.